Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Today, I'm starting kind of a two-part series. We're going to be looking at the book of John chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, John chapter four, I'm going to read a lot. Like I'm going to read, I don't think I've done this. I'm going to read about 23 verses to start off. And and I'm torn between reading it from my Bible and reading it from my iPad. I really want to read it from my Bible, but I'm realizing I need longer arms. Something happens when you reach 40, your arms get shorter. And so um, I'm going to attempt to read it from my Bible just because... There's just something I think that takes place when, when we read it. And so if you don't have your Bible, I believe they're going to be on the screens, our production team. Um, I was like, I'm giving you a lot of scripture this week. There's a lot of slides, and they love that. Um, but we're going to read um, half of John chapter 4 this week and then the rest of John chapter 4 next week. So are you guys ready to read along? Let's go. Verse 4, I'm going to try to read it from my Bible. Here we go. Um, verse four, Jesus um, was leaving Judea and returned to Galilee and said he had to go through Samaria on the way to Galilee. And it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. Say that three times real fast, wearily beside the well, right? He sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, hey, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than all than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you? offer water better than what he and his sons and his animals enjoyed from this well. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, please, sir, said the woman, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus says in verse 16, go and get your husband. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you are 
right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoken the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And then Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. The woman said, I know. I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, he is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. He'll answer all of our questions. He will make everything plain. Verse 26, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Let me pray again real quick. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, let it settle on our hearts today and let us be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna spend um, the next couple of Sundays just really leaning in on the mission of the church, um, what I feel like God has called us to do as Avenue Church, um, what we have been doing, what we are doing, and what I want us to continue to do. And it is not just a corporate thing that we do for us, um, those that are on the A-team, those that are in leadership, that it is something that each one of us that are called to be a member of the body of Christ, that we have a responsibility and a requirement to do. And we see Jesus interacting with this woman in a way that I think we will, not only do we need to, but to reach those that God has called us to reach, to bring living water to those that God has called us to reach, there are things that we will do. The timing of that is up to us. It can happen sooner or it can happen later. We're in charge of that. God gives us the vision, not just me. It's through me to you. The vision is for us, but it's up to us, the speed at which that takes place at times, right? We move at the speed of God. But there's been many a times where God has been in my life, it's like, come on, what are you doing? And I'm waiting for another confirmation, another confirmation, another confirmation, right? But there are some things that we see take place in this passage that I wanna speak to us today, and then we'll hit the second part next week. And, and what we see Jesus doing when, when he's meeting this woman at the well, that he is crossing social boundaries, really unlike anything that we could even think about today, is that he is meeting people where they are, and church, we will meet people where they are. It says that he had to go through Samaria. He really didn't have to. There are other ways to get to where he was going. That's why we have bypasses around the cities, right? Because we don't want to cut right through because the traffic is crazy. And then everybody's taking the bypass and the bypass becomes crazy, right? Jesus could have taken a bypass 
and went around Samaria, but he said, I have to go through Samaria. And then he gets to this village and he takes a seat at a well because he's tired. He's God in flesh. I believe he was tired, but I believe he also knew there was an appointment there that he had to make. That there was someone there that he needed to meet with. And it was this woman that did not know he was going to be there. And if you know anything about the culture and the, the gathering of water, she was there at noon. Women didn't go to gather water at noon and especially not alone. It was a social event where they would go and they would gather water together as a group. It was a beauty shop. They would go there and talk about what was going on in their life, right? They were going there, getting their nails done, gathering water, just hanging out as a group. It wasn't just a household domestic responsibility. It was a social event for them. And she's not with the other women from the village. You know why? Because she's not accepted. She's not accepted. So Jesus is crossing these social boundaries and she acknowledges that. She says, why are you talking to me? One, we have to understand that Jews and Samaritans did not interact. Jews saw Samaritans as mutts, as half-breeds from when the Assyrians came in and captured the children of Israel and they intermarried. And so you had, they called them half-breeds. They were unclean. Jews didn't interact with Samaritans. Jesus speaks to her first. Men didn't interact with women unless it was their wife. And women sure couldn't interact with other men unless it was her husband. And it's not only that, but we know that we have a religious teacher that is interacting with someone who is considered unclean because he knows by her being there at 12, she is living an unrighteous and unholy life. So you have a teacher of the law interacting with a sinful Samaritan woman. He meets her where she is. As a church, not only this, think about this. He's not only talking to her, but he's asking her for a drink. And she says, you don't have a cup. You guys remember back in the day, you had those collapsible portable cups. You got, did anybody have those? Gen Xers and boomers know what I'm talking about. Maybe older millennials and they were real cool and you could like take the top off and sling it and it opens up it's, and it just slides up so cool. And so I remember having one of those and just drinking out of it, but then it would collapse when I would put too much in it, right? Jesus didn't have one of those. He didn't have a cup. So guess whose cup he's going to have to drink out of? So if you think talking to a Samaritan makes him unclean, drinking from her cup is definitely going to make him unclean in the eyes of those around him. But drinking from the cup brings him down to her level and that he can relate to her. See, church, this is what the church big C misses out sometimes. We fail to meet people where they are. We want them to come to where we are, forgetting that we were once where they are and thinking about how much life we have lived and how much God has done in our life since that moment. We're going to have people walk through these doors on Easter Sunday. And for some, it may be the only time 
and they're using all the courage that they have on that Sunday, and maybe the Sunday after, we're praying they're gonna come back the Sunday after. Are we going to meet them where they're at? We're gonna have people with different church experiences that are both good and traumatic. We're gonna have people with relational experiences, both good and traumatic. We're gonna have people with, with different insecurities, sin issues. We have a responsibility to meet them where they're at. Something I've heard said, and I say it, like we love people enough to meet them where they're at, but then we love them enough not to leave them there. Because it's real easy in love to meet them there and then to run off and say, catch up. But it takes a greater love to meet them there and then to walk with them as God is working in them. Jesus met her where she was at and we will meet people where they're at. We have to make the first move. We have to make the first move. We will make the first move. You guys ever been in an elevator with a stranger? right it's like do I say something like how long are we going to be in this together do I like if I say something is it going to be weird right and how many of us most of the time we just stare at the wall oh man we just this happened we just we just stare at the wall or we stare at the numbers and we're praying get me to my floor quickly get me to my floor and so picture picture this woman walking up to the well She's intentionally going at noon so no one else will be there. So it's a shock for her when she gets there and there is someone there, not just someone. There is a man there. There is a Jewish man there. There is a Jewish rabbi there. She's expecting not to have any interaction whatsoever and Jesus makes the first move. He speaks first. He starts the conversation. But he doesn't lean in first with, do you know who I am? I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you. Have you heard about me? I'm doing all these crazy teachings and I'm healing the sick and raising the dead. No, he starts with a simple conversation about water. And so oftentimes as Christians, we think the first move we have to make is, is to get people on the Roman road and start quoting scripture immediately. But they just need to be seen and heard. They just need to be seen and heard. A lot of the things, like one of the things I told my A-team and our launch team when we were launching the church is that we will feel awkward so they don't have to. As Christians, we should always be the ones making the first move We should be the ones making the first invite, giving the first encouragement, standing up for truth in a way that's that's convicting but not condemning. We should be the ones making the first move. We should be the ones feeling awkward because guess what happens? When we get comfortable at feeling awkward, guess what we don't feel? Awkward, (laughs) right? We work that muscle until we don't feel awkward anymore and then people walking in this room in a setting where there are other Christians that they don't like, I don't know the Bible very well. They're coming in as like, who who will be there? Are they gonna look at me? Are they gonna stare at me? And then as our greeters and ushers and anyone else that's sitting around them makes the first move and says, hey, I'm Stephen, so glad to see you. 
Think about the kind of walls that that begins to break down in that moment so that when worship starts, their heart is already soft. So when the word goes out, the heart is already soft to receive because we have made the first move. We feel awkward so they don't have to. We make the first invites. We make the first introductions. We don't wait. What would happen? Um, And even for those of us who we're here every week and we fail to cross the aisle to introduce ourselves to the people that we sit near all the time or we linger after church and grab a cup of coffee and ask someone's name and find out their story. How much stronger would our community be if we made the first move at that? You know, I always think about this episode of Friends and don't judge me, right? Where Chandler has a new boss and Chandler's boss calls him by the wrong name. And Chandler's afraid to speak up and correct him, right? It's okay. I've called people by the wrong name multiple times. As a matter of fact, there's probably some of you in here. I've asked you your name and I will say, tell me your name again. And then when we walk away, I'll say, forgive me in advance. I'm probably gonna ask you again. Guys, I forget things all the time. We're human. Let's give people grace. Let's give ourselves grace, but then let's also make the first move. Let's start the conversation. Let's make the invite. Let's, let's hear the stories, amen? Um, this next, next one really kind of hit home. We will recognize the gift God has for us and others. Um, Reading and studying through this, there were a couple of things that just really like jumped out on the page to me. And, and this passage was one of them. And I wanna read it and I want to allow this scripture just to settle on you um, like it did for me. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman about getting something to drink. And he says, he makes this statement. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, Avenue Church, if you only knew the things he has in store for you and who is speaking to us in our quiet times, in our worship times, we would approach him a little bit differently. If we only knew the gift, and Jesus just isn't talking about a a physical thirst for water. We know this. He is speaking to a much spiritual, deeper desire than just a thirst for water because he knows what's going on in this woman's life and that the relationships that she's been in, she she is trying to quench. She is trying to fulfill a thirst that is deeper than just water. And so he's speaking to her, not just about water, and is saying, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, or maybe you are distant from him, listen to me, folks. If you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew the plans and the purpose and the good things that we just sang about this morning, even in the midst of the pain that he has planned for you and the one who is speaking to you, you would ask much boldly. You would walk much closer than what we do. And I think church, those of us who have been walking with Jesus, if we knew 
really knew the gift that we had and who we represented. We would be more apt and able to approach people where they are and make the first move because we would know that the one who is in us is greater than the one that is in the world. We would know that the same spirit that is within us is the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. We would know that the work that he has started in us, he will continue and we will have full confidence in being able to share the gift that is on the inside of us if we knew the gift that God has for us. And she says this, right? She, she says this in John chapter four, verses 11 and 12, when he says, I have this water. And she says, and besides, like you don't, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a cup, and this well is deep. And she says, and besides, do you think that you are greater than our ancestor Job who gave us this well? How can you offer water that is better than this? Here's what the world is asking us, church. How is what you're offering better than what I'm already getting? How is what you're offering any better than what I'm already getting? And church, how are we answering that? Are we able to answer that? Because we're fully living out the gift that God has put on the inside of us. And I'm honest with you in that sometimes it's hard for me, for lack of a better term, to sell Jesus at times because the world is coming at our people, at our families, at culture in a much harsher and stronger and more tenacious way than the church is at times. And when I say church, I'm talking about me, you, your brother and your sister to all of us, not just the organization, the church. Because each one of us, scripture says, are a part of the body and we belong to each other. And we have to recognize and know the gift that God has for us and who is not, man, who is not just speaking to us, but church, who is speaking through us, right? I want us to know the gift that God has for us and for others because the world is asking what you have, how is it better? And once Jesus explains it, listen, she makes this statement, and this is the second verse that just really jumped off the page and into my heart. She makes this statement once he says, this, this water that I have, and he's not just talking about, about physical water, this water that I have for you will be a bubbling well of ever-living, ever-living life, refreshing water in you, springing out of you. And this is what she says. She says, please, sir, Give me this water. Then she says, I won't be thirsty again. But this next line, I'd never thought, says, then I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come, if I can interject this, back here. Speaking of the well, but Jesus is not just speaking of the well. He's also speaking to our situation. I want to give you something that will be greater that you will not have to come back to where you are to receive refreshing that is temporary and shallow. She says, please give me this so that I won't be thirsty again and I don't have to come back here. How many of us know people that keep going back to the same well? over and over 
and over. And their thirst is quenched for a moment. But then they leave and life happens. And they're thirsty again because that water was not everlasting. How many of us have went back to the same well over and over and over? Even while carrying the title and the name of a Christian, we go back to the same place instead of going back to the one who provides the everlasting and ever-living water. And I know some of your stories and you're not going back to those wells anymore. But I wanna know more of those stories. I wanna see more of those stories take place, not because of Avenue Church, but because of the one that, that we experience through Avenue Church. I don't want you to be thirsty anymore. Jesus goes on with the conversation and, and he, he says, go get your husband. And she says, I'm not married. And he says, you're, you're right, you're not. You've been married five times and you're shacking up now. Um, as a church, we will speak the truth with conviction, but without condemnation. We allow the word and the Holy Spirit to convict, but the church wants to condemn. Man wants to condemn. Because when we condemn, is when we condemn, we place ourselves higher than those around us. But Paul says, I was once just like the rest of you. Still am, but by the grace of God. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through his word, there is a conviction that comes. And there will be sermons that we preach and that I have preached and get ready, next week might be one of them. Trying to decide to want to put suckers on your seats or Band-Aids. Because <laughs> when you leave the doctor's office, <laughs> they give you a sucker to make it all feel better. So I'm like, do I want to give you suckers or a Band-Aid? I don't know which. <laughs> but still come back, <laughs> right? <laughs> still come back. Um, and sometimes I have a habit of sugarcoating it because I'm like you. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But sometimes by not hurting people's feelings, I do more harm than good. And sometimes we're afraid to speak into someone's life because we're afraid that their opinion of us will change. They'll be mad at us. They won't talk to us, right? We've all been there, right? Am I speaking truth, right? We won't speak truth because we're trying to protect ourselves. That's because we've seen truth spoken with condemnation, not conviction, because conviction turns the heart. Condemnation hardens the heart, right? And so we have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to call out sin when we see it. Truth is just like holding jello now, according to culture. It's whatever you want it to be, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And going back and reading through the Old Testament and reading through Judges, man, this, the, the phrase that I've kept seeing over and over and over is they, they did what was right in their own eyes. And I would say in this culture today, that's what most of culture is wanting to do is what is right in our own eyes. And that does lead to condemnation. We bring it on ourselves, right? But we're gonna call out sin when we see it and, and, and we're getting to a place, church, where we have to call you to something higher. That we as a church, that we have to call ourselves to a higher accountability and a higher responsibility. 
that we can't just come in and sing our songs and sit in our seats and listen to a sermon. And then on Monday through Friday, listen to podcasts until our spirit and our bellies are full, but our spiritual muscles are weak. And so we have to speak the truth with conviction, not condemnation. And what happens, just like with this woman, as she's speaking the truth, what does, or as Jesus is speaking the truth, then she flips the script and begins asking questions. She wants to get all religious then. Well, your people say that you worship here, and my people say that we worship here, and Jesus says it doesn't matter about any of that. That we cut hairs and divide hairs within the church big C over some of the smallest things And Jesus says, look, you Samaritans have no idea who you worship. But us Jews, we have all the answers. As a matter of fact, salvation is gonna come through the Jews. But the funny thing is Jesus is making that statement that the Jews have all the answers and they know everything. They didn't recognize the Savior standing right in front of them. They knew that the Savior was gonna come through him, through them, but they didn't recognize, so they they had all the head knowledge. but They didn't have a heart connection. And so here as a church, what we will do is we will worship God in spirit and in truth. And some of us have that truth part down because of the traditions that we grew up in and, and all those things. We know that worship is something that you're supposed to do. We know that it's going to take part most of the time, take place at the beginning of the message. There's going to be a countdown. There's going to be a greeting. There's going to be four songs. There's going to be a sermon. We know the truth of it. We know the lyrics. We put them on a screen. And reading, like thinking about worship songs today, they're much simpler to sing than the old hymns back in the day. was like every line and every stanza was something different. We'll sing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And I'm completely fine with that. There's truth in that. But I think some of us, we have a head knowledge of what worship should look like, but there's not a heart connection there. Because when there's a head knowledge, we know that it's, it's something that we're supposed to do. But when we have a heart connection, it says, this is what I was made to do. When we have a heart connection, this is, we realize that this is something that I have to do. That, that when, when I worship in spirit with all that I am, with my emotion, with my problems, with my joys, with all of that, Jesus says, in fact, the time is now where the Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way, in spirit, with all that we are, and in truth, with words that matter, are theologically correct, and mean something, and represent his nature. And church, we will always do that. Because we don't want you just to feel good. We want you to know good. (laughs) We don't want to sing things that aren't true. But we also want worship to encompass your whole being because you are more than just your thoughts, but you are also more than just your emotions. You are all of you and God wants all of you to worship him. And so Jesus makes a statement, right? He says, the the Jews know everything about what they worship and who they worship and salvation is going to come through us. And she makes the statement. She says, I know, I know the Messiah 
that he will come. Christ, she even says Christ will come. The anointed one is what that means. The anointed one will come and he will clear all of this up for us. He will answer all of our questions. And then he makes, Jesus makes this one final statement. What does he say? He says, I am the Messiah. In that moment, her eyes were open. And the story goes on to continue that the disciples are coming back, but, but she leaves immediately. She was there to get water. She leaves her bucket by the well. She leaves her rope by the well, and she goes into town to describe the experience she has just had with the Messiah and says, come and see a man that has told me everything about me. Look more next week, but a two-day revival breaks out and thousands upon thousands come out. And they say, we believe not just because we've heard you, but we've seen for ourselves. Guys, I want people to experience Jesus for themselves. Because at some point in your life, that became very real. God met you at your well in noon of your darkest day. And he used someone that was there, not on accident, but on purpose. And they met you where you were and they made the first move and they spoke truth and they spoke life so that you didn't have to go back to that well. Now life happens. Sometimes we forget what God has done. We see that over. Man, I love the Old Testament. It makes me feel so good about my walk. It's just me. Moses and the leadership and God is dealing with a million rebellious, stubborn, hard-headed people. But it says he, he never loses love for them. He gets angry at them. He gets jealous for them. But he stays with them until the end. And it says that all of his promises were fulfilled. God's same promise for you, for those who are in Christ. And if you're here today, and maybe you're, it's, it's, it's noontime in your life and you mustered up strength for whatever to come here today. And it's our heart that you hear great worship, that you hear a great word, that you meet incredible people. But at the end of it, I want you to meet the Messiah and I want you to know him and I want him to change your life in such a way that you leave what you, what you came here thinking your life was about, that you leave it all here and you leave walking this new life that he has for you. And then for church, those of us that are carrying this title of Christian, do we really know the gift that God has for us? Do we really understand the forgiveness and the life and the power and the compassion and the grace that we carry on the inside of us that Jesus says is supposed to be a bubbling spring within our belly flowing out to those around us so that where we are in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, that we're quenching the thirsts of those around us that have a deeper longing than what they even understand. I believe we can be that church. I believe you can be that person. We lean into what God's doing in our life. Can we just pray together? Um, Father, I just thank you 
for this day. God, I thank you for your presence and you're moving in our hearts and in our lives in ways that we don't understand. And God, as we prepare to go into a season to where people who don't know you may be more open to a conversation about you and experience with you. God, I want us to take this um, responsibility and this right and this privilege seriously, not, not just as, as an organization, Avenue Church as a community, but for, for me as your followers, your word says that I'm an ambassador with Christ given a message of reconciliation. God, that, that I would understand the gift that I have and that you have for me and who speaks through me to those around me. God, that each one of us would, God would just be compelled to meet people where they are, to make the first move, to speak the truth with conviction, to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. But most of all, to help people to know you. God, if there's someone here today that does not know you, I pray that they would not leave here today without just simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life as a statement of repentance, as a movement of repentance of not just turning from their old life, but Father, turning to you. And maybe they're a Christian, but they don't know you very well and need a fresh start with you that, that all pride would just be removed and humbly just saying, Jesus, I give you my life again. Life's been tough and I've not trusted you, but I believe you died. I believe you love me. I believe you've forgiven me. And God, that you would speak directly to our hearts, that we would be your hands and your feet loving those you've placed before us. Let us live out this call that you've put in our life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you.